Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast. We are a Bible-based church at the Peterborough, Canada, and together we're on a mission to reach people who are far from Christ and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. Today, Pastor Nathan brings you part two of our series from the book of James, entitled, The Man in the Mirror. Have you looked in the mirror lately? Did you like what you saw? You know, God's Word is like a mirror for our souls. It reveals who we truly are in Christ and where we are still in need of transformation. With that, let's turn it over to Pastor Nate with part two from his Book of James series, The Man in the Mirror. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. That was great to see uh, Helen's been, uh, well, Helen uh, used to live in Canada for a little while and attended, and she's been watching and participating from our church overseas. Anybody who's watched our online stream knows that Helen is the queen of the emojis, like every, there's emojis everywhere. It would have been cool as she was reading the scripture to have all those emojis kind of in there, smiley face, thumbs up, all that stuff, amazing. We love Helen, and uh, thank you for uh, for reading our text for us today. If you weren't here with us last week, we kicked off a 10-week series in the book of James. And what we're doing is over uh, this 10-week message series, we're actually walking verse by verse through uh, the New Testament book of James. And actually what we're going to be doing is kind of doing a half a chapter each Sunday, uh, which feels very quick for me as a preacher. There's so much in here. And uh, last week felt really rushed because it was so much content to cover. But I'm going to do my best today to kind of wrap the ideas into a few single analogies that will help us. And then from here on out, uh, the next eight weeks, every week sort of has one main point. And so we're going to kind of dig in and dive into this as we go. Let me recap a few things from last week for those who weren't here. We began our study in James. We learned that the author of this book is not James, one of the disciples of Jesus, but rather... James, the, the brother, the half-brother, of the younger brother of Jesus, that's who it, this book is attributed to. And so we're reading the book of James, we're reading uh, the words of a man who didn't believe in his brother, we, we saw that last week, and then after his resurrection, he believed and became one of the leaders of the early church. He's, he's a straight-shooting kind of guy, as we learned last week, he just kind of, he doesn't hold anything back, it's just one after another, right, left hook, he just keeps going, uh, speaking truth into our lives, and he challenged us in the opening chapter to embrace trials and difficulties as a means of growing up in our faith. He challenges us to ask for wisdom and to resist sin and temptation, all things that are great to do. I got a little image here, and I think this would be a good place to start. Um, we got a little little stick man, stick woman, and we we see the the little person here is filled with this gray color. And and to put this in theological terms, we call it the old nature or the sin nature. And so, what the scriptures teach is that because of Adam and Eve's sin, that every single person was born with a sinful nature. And so, therefore, lying, stealing, being selfish, those things, those things don't have to be learned. They're inherent in us. You guys know this, right? Anybody who's ever worked with little children knows you don't have to teach them to steal from their friends. They're just like, I want that, and they just take it. And we're like, no, 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 don't take their toy. And we explain to them why it's important to be kind, right? And you ask them, did you eat the cookie? And they're like, crumbs all over their face. No... Like, you, nobody had to teach them to do that, to be deceptive. It's just, it's in us. It's wired into who we are. And so there's this problem of this old or sin nature that's inside of every person. And that's a problem because uh, what religion tries to do often is it tries to move us towards changing our moral behaviors, which I think we all agree is good, right? Learning not to lie, learning not to be selfish, but to be generous. Like, those are things that we should all be, you know... Working towards, in fact, that's what we do as parents and educators, right? We teach the little kids, share your toy. Doesn't that feel nice? Well, kind of. Hey, tell the truth. And it's like, oh, but it, 
So we teach them to adjust their behavior. We teach them to love and be kind and all of these things. So we have this old nature within us. And, and what we learn in the scriptures is that this old nature, as much as we try to reform ourselves, as much as we try to improve ourselves, and we can, um, we can never overcome sin that is deeply ingrained in us. And so something else has to happen. There's something else that, no matter how hard we try, we cannot fix the problem. And so I want to back up to the last verse we read last week, verse 18. And and this is important because I want to give you an image and we're going to keep referring back to it as we go. It says this, "Of Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. So what James is saying... He's saying that all of us are born into sin. He talked last week about sinful desires. And he says, here's what's happened. God has done something to change the root of the problem. So if we're sinners by nature, no matter how hard we try to clean up our lives, we we can't get the root out. And if you can't get the root out, it keeps returning. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Like if, if you break off the top of a weed, but you don't get the root out, guess what? It grows back. And he says, God did something in sending His Son, in dying for us, in rising again, He did something, and that something He did, that salvation, comes through the hearing of the Word. So in the next image, i got a picture of us, okay? And, and we have the, the Word of God, the Scriptures, the truth about what Jesus did for us. So we hear that, and it goes into our minds, okay? We hear that. But what, we can't just hear it. What has to happen is we have to receive it. And so in the next picture, it shows, okay, a new nature. And I don't know if you can see that, but i got a little seed with a sprout coming out of it. And what God does is He transforms us by us receiving His Word and new life begins to form in us. What God wants to do is give us a new heart. There has to be an inner transformation. Maybe the best example I have of this from my own life is a story I've shared on a number of occasions, but it's worth sharing again. When I was a kid, my dad, we lived out in the country and we had an acre of grass around our house. And as any of you know, with a big lawn, it's a lot of work to keep that grass trim. And my dad had a riding lawnmower. And one day, the riding lawnmower, the engine gave out. It was no longer going to work. And so we had the riding lawnmower that wasn't working. Big problem. But we had an old racing snowmobile behind our shed, and the track was destroyed. But the engine was still good. And so my dad somehow took the racing engine out of the skidoo and transformed it and put it inside of the lawn tractor. And I remember as a kid hearing that thing start up for the first time, because I was used to the around the yard, right? And all I was here is he turns it on, just like, rawr, 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 rawr. gray smoke coming out all over the yard. And dad, like, you had the turtle setting, and then you had the little slider, and you could push it up to the rabbit. Like, on the turtle, that thing was throwing grass, like, 15 feet as he was driving around the yard. When he put it to the rabbit setting, you could do donuts. It was amazing. Grass flying everywhere, skid marks all over the yard. It was awesome. And what happened to that lawn tractor is it underwent a, 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 a transformation that the very heart of the lawn tractor was changed. It was no longer a lawn tractor, it was a racing tractor. Before they started racing tractors, my dad was on it, okay? He's on to it. It was a transformation. And, and essentially what God wants to do, if we can go back to that image we showed just a minute ago, is that God actually wants to transform us. He doesn't want to just be, modify our behavior so that we act a little better. He doesn't want us to just be nicer to each other. He actually wants to change our desires on the inside. He wants to plant new life in us and have it grow. So... This, though, is a process, and unlike the transformation of my dad's tractor where it was like instantly it went from this broken down old rickety tractor to the racing machine, this is way more of a process, and it takes years and decades as our faith grows and develops and new life is formed in us. And and it's all connected, it's all connected to the 
to the Word of God, okay? And so uh, there's a couple things that I want us to keep in mind as we move forward today. So we can throw that up. A couple things that are really important for us to keep in mind. The first is this. Nothing I'm going to say to you today is new. And it's amazing because we come to church every week, and as much as it's really fun and nice to hear something new, something you've never heard, I don't think I'm going to say anything today that you haven't heard. But it's not new stuff that we need to hear that we haven't heard. It's the stuff we've heard a hundred times and never done that's the problem. And and I'm not going to tell you anything new, but what I'm going to do is remind you of things you already know. Remind you of things you already know. It's it's so important. Every year, right? New year, people try losing weight, okay? And, And so it seems like every year of my life there's been a new diet, a new fad hit the market. When I was a little kid, it was Weight Watchers. And then over the years, the Atkins diet came out and the Paleo diet and the South Beach diet. And now there's different programs. You know, they have like Peloton. You can ride a bike or jog. And then you have Noom and you have like all these new. And what's incredible is all of them are trying to get you and me to do the very same thing. It's a book that I've thought about writing for years called Eat Less, Do More. I can sell it all over the world. 100% guarantee it's going to work every single time. And you just get the hardcover book, you know, signed by the author. You open it up, first page, it says, eat less, do more. And there's just a bunch of blank pages afterwards. Because that's all you need to know. Right? Like, everything else is our attempts to help us modify our behavior. Because we know what to do. The problem is we can't figure out how to do it. And to do it regularly and consistently. You guys with me? And it's the same thing with church. When we come to church, it's like, okay, love my neighbor. Right? Okay, forgive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that. But you have to be reminded that God has forgiven you. And then you're like, oh yeah, God has forgiven me. I'm not going to hold this grudge anymore. And so what happens is it's a reminder. So it's nothing new. It's the same stuff over and over again. Second thing that's really, really important, okay? Before we move on to the text for today, it's really important. I brought my mirror. I'll explain it in a sec. But I want you to focus on you. Or you could say focus on me. Everybody say focus on me. Here's the thing. What James is trying to do in his letter, is he's trying to get you and me to grow up in our faith. That little seed of God's word and new life, he wants that to grow and take over every part of you, so love and mercy and grace flow out of your being, that it's natural for you to forgive and care for others, and you don't even have to work at it because it's so permeated your being. That's his goal. But you'll never attain that goal when you're focused on everybody else. Because here's the thing. Judging other people and finding their faults, so, so easy. A few weeks ago, uh, someone sent me an email right after church, and they're like, hey, pastor, we thought it was so funny watching the online stream, you had a big curl right on the forehead. And of course, I didn't know. I preached all morning with a big Superman Clark Kent curl on my forehead. Nobody said anything. And I get the email, and I'm like, oh, man. And then last week, someone tells me at the office that my my boot tag on one of my things was sticking out on the front, and it was distracting people. And I'm like, what? And here's the thing. I didn't notice my hair. I didn't notice my boot tag. And you know why? Because I'm not looking at me. I'm looking at you. And I could tell you all of your problems. (laughs) I could, but I'm not going to. Because here's the thing. Even if I see something that you should change, it doesn't fix anything, does it? What I need to do, take a good look at at me. When When I was a teenager, there was a song. This is the title of my sermon, by the way, called Man in the Mirror. Maybe some of you remember the song. Michael Jackson. I'm talking to the man in the mirror. <laughs> Does that little thing. I'm telling him to change his ways. And he says, and no message could be any clearer. Take a look at yourself and then make that change. Now, I love that song because it's true. We got to look at ourselves and fix what's here. 
And we live in a world and a society where everyone is pointing fingers and everyone is blaming and everyone is saying, they're the problem, you're the problem, this is the issue. And what God is going to tell us to do is to take a look in the mirror and start working on the only thing that we really can change, and that's me. It's us. And unfortunately, the piece that Michael Jackson was missing is the fact that no matter how hard I look in the mirror, no curl cue, no, no matter how hard I look in the mirror, no matter how hard I try to improve myself, there's something that I can't do and that only God can do. And that's to transform my heart. And he's begun that work. And I want to see that continue. So, so we're going we're gonna to talk more about this. But it's really important that we, really important that we remember that this, today's sermon and the next eight sermons are really about, James is going to challenge you and me to say, how are you doing? Take a look in the mirror. How are you doing? Are you judgmental? Take a look. Do you have faith in God? Take a look. How are you using your tongue? Are you tearing people down or building them up? Take a look. And he's going to invite each and every one of us. And so each consecutive week, he's just going to pick a topic and just nail us and be like, take a look in the mirror and ask yourself, how am I doing? What needs to be changing in your life? Is that cool? We all set for this? All right. So now we're going to move into our text for today, beginning in James uh, 1 verse 19. In light of all this, and this is so important because again, when we read this, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, fast to listen to others. Slow to speak and slow to anger, for, he says, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, when we read that, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Our natural tendency is like to elbow the person beside. See that? Quick to hear. Slow to speak. Right? To look around. So what James is going to do is he's going to say, how are you doing with this? How are you doing with this? And we did about five months ago, I think it was in August, September, Kirk Goodman and I did an entire two-week message on just this verse we just read. So I'm not even going to try today to recap all of that content. If you're watching online, you can go into the description and there's links there for that series. You can go back and watch it if this is an issue for you. How you use your mouth, listening to others. We talked all about why it's so important to listen to other people when they're talking. Why it's so important to hear other people's perspectives. Because here's the thing. You might be smarter than the person you're listening to, but if they know something you don't know, and you're willing to listen, guess what? You become smarter because you now know what you know and you know what they know. You can listen to someone else and they can be 95% wrong about all their opinions. Like someone's describing my family, right? But if the 5%, if they have a perspective you have not considered or a fact or a detail that you did not know and you hear that 5%, you're better for it, which is why we need to listen. And so we could talk all day about the importance of listening to one another. I think the pandemic has proven that we struggle. We all struggle with this. Listening to one another. And I think what we do is we get into this mode of selective hearing. You guys know what selective hearing is, right? It's like when we pick and choose what we want to hear. There was this old man, and he was sitting at a table with a friend of his. They were visiting another couple, and he said to his friend, my wife and I went to this amazing restaurant the other day. It was so great, but I can't remember the name of it. I can't remember the name of it. It had something to do with a flower. It was the name of a flower, and the guy's like, oh, like a daffodil. He said, no, no, it's like the one you give at Valentine's Day. His friend says, oh, Rose. That's it. Hey, Rose, what was the name of that rest? Sorry. Selective hearing. I was a groaner, I know. Selective hearing. We hear what we want to hear. Have you ever met someone or been the person who walks around and asks everybody their opinion and waits till someone says what you want to hear, and then you're like, God spoke to me. I'm doing that. Right? We do this all the time. So we listen. We go, I don't like that opinion. We listen. I don't like that opinion. 
And so what we end up doing with our selective hearing is we end up zeroing in on people and media sources and, and, and anything that says what we want to hear, and it just affirms and affirms and affirms us instead of challenging us. Selective hearing. Quick to hear, slow to speak. We ought to be wise. We ought to listen to one another. We ought to, to, to be able to do that. You know, there is a Bible verse for everything. This would actually be a fun game to play in small groups sometime. You pick a subject, you pick something you want to do, and then somebody in the group has to go and find a Bible verse for it. Like, if you want to kill somebody, you could find a Bible verse for that. If you wanted to give all your money away, you could find a Bible verse for that. If you wanted to say whatever came to your mind and not feel guilty about it, there's a Bible verse for it. But one of the things that Jesus did is he constantly critiqued the religious leaders who had a Bible verse for everything they were doing, but somehow had missed the heart of what God wanted them to do and how to live and how to treat one another. They had found Bible verses. So we want to be those who are quick to what? To hear and slow to speak. Quick to hear and slow to speak. Specifically, what I want to talk about here for a few moments on this particular passage is this. We could talk about the importance of being quick to hear each other, but I want to talk about being quick to hear God. Because that's really the context, right? James was talking about the Word of God implanted, and then in the next verses after this quick-to-hear bit, he's going to go back to the importance of this. And I think what James is getting at, beyond listening to one another, is are we willing to hear what God says? And are we willing to hear it and receive it into our hearts and into our minds and act on it? And I wonder how often uh, we turn on uh, the news, social media, what our friends are posting. We're looking at all this information and we're listening to all this stuff and, and how seldom we open up this and say, what does God say about this? We ought to be quick to, to hear. Quick to hear what God has to say. Quick to hear what God wants to do in us. Verse 21, it says this. He continues from this hearing bit and he says, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. So anything in your life that is sinful, that is dark, that is hurtful, that is, uh, remove it. And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So he's saying to do two things. One thing is to remove sinful practices from your life, but that's not enough. My front yard is a disaster. I tell you, it's a disaster. Uh, there are more weeds growing in my front yard than grass. And I, someone's like, well, grass is a weed. I don't care. I want lots of grass and less dandelions. And so my yard is a mess. And, and I've tried, the last couple of years, I've gone out after a rain and I've tried to pull out all the dandelions with one of those little machines. You know, take out all the dandelions, half the roots break so they grow back anyways. But I got all, I'm removing all these weeds and my yard like looks okay. It's kind of brown, some little grassy patches. But guess what? Six months later, guess what my yard looks like? It's the exact same. Because pulling out the weeds, removing sinful behaviors is not enough. You have to do something else. You have to plant new grass seed. Right? So what you want to do is remove the weeds and overseed. Remove the weeds and overseed. This is, okay, I know some of you are like, mind blown. That's the piece I've been missing. I forgot to plant the new grass. So you have to do both. You have to remove the one and add the other. Remove the one. That's what James is saying right here. Remove the weeds and plant new seed. Remove the weeds. Plant new seed. If you want your heart to flourish, if you want your life to reflect the image of Jesus, you have to remove the weeds, plant new seeds. Remove the weeds, 
Plant new, I'm going to keep saying it until somebody joins me. Remove the weeds, plant new seeds. That's good, okay? i got a little picture here to demonstrate how this works. Okay, so what happens is God's Word goes into your heart and begins to produce love, light, hope, patience, peace, but there's still an old nature. And this is why Christians struggle. They're like, I still want to sin. But then there's a part of me in my heart that's like, I don't want to sin. And there's this battle going on inside in the battle. The war is in your mind. The war is in your mind because because you, you sense the emotions and the feelings and you want to sin, but inside you know you ought not to and the Spirit of God's at work. So you've got this battle going on between the two natures. Are you with me? And what James is saying is the process of growing up and maturing in your faith is actually a process of, of expanding and growing this new nature and removing the old. So you're pulling the weeds and planting new seed. Did you know seeds are incredible? I, I looked up online this week. I'm like, I was wondering to myself, um, how long can a seed last before it, you can't plant it anymore? And some seeds last a year or two years or three years. But you know, I found the oldest seed ever recorded that was germinated, so put in the ground and grew something. Does anybody know how old it was? Take a guess. Shout it out. 2,000 years. When I read that, I thought, that will preach. Because 2,000 years ago, there was a man named Jesus walking around on this earth. And he said his words were like seeds. And he's throwing seeds. And he's, he's speaking truth. Love your neighbor as yourself. Turn the other cheek. As I've loved you, go love one another. And he's throwing seeds, seeds, seeds. I'm going to die for you because I love you and give you new life. Seeds, seeds, seeds. And 2,000 years later, check it out. People walking around today in 2022 will hear the Word of God. They'll hear about God's love and something will happen. It'll go from their head to their heart and that 2,000-year-old seed will germinate and begin to produce eternal life. Isn't that cool? And, those, and here's another thing. You don't know. I believe that there are people, you're listening today online, you're in the room, there are seeds in your mind and heart that haven't germinated yet. This is one of the reasons why as parents we want to teach our kids the Bible. Right? Teach them the way they'll go, and when they're old, they'll not depart from it. Why? Because at some point along the way, the environment will change, and those seeds that were planted in their heart, boop, sprout. And new life and change and transformation starts to happen. It can happen at 30, 40, 50, 60 years old. It doesn't matter. So we read the Bible, and we trust and act on His Word, knowing that these seeds that are planted in us can shoot out at any moment and begin to produce new life. He continues... Um, to say this, uh, let me just make sure. Yeah, he continues to say this in verse 7, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. And I simply summarize this just to say that faith, faith only grows when exercised. How many people, and actually don't put up your hands, watching late night TV, eating the bowl of chips, and up comes the ab roller infomercial. And you see this device, a cruncher, a roller, a twister, a something for those, you know, abs, and you see it, and you see the person, it's an underwear model, and their belly looks like somebody spilled a box of Timbits, like, just bubbles everywhere, and you're just like, I want that, and the promise is this, that this device that we'll sell you for three easy payments of nineteen ninety nine, put it on your credit card. You can have abs like this, and you watch it, and you're like, yeah, this is the year. 
and you call it in, and you get this stupid ab roller, and you try it for three, I may or may not have tried this once, and you try the ab roller, you know, for like a day, and the next morning you can't get out of your bed, you're like, ah, I can't get out of bed, and you have to roll out sideways, and you're like, that's it, that's not fun. And so you settle for the glorious one pack, right? It's like, that's, this is fine, I, I accept it. The point is, is like your faith is like that. That's why James like counted all joy when you encounter various trials. Why? Because it's the pressure and the testing and the difficulty that actually makes you strong because you push through it. So it's not what you know. It's, it's what you do with what you know. He goes on in verse 23. It says this, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, that's a typo. I put this slide in for just for the record. And not a doer. He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. I brought the mirror up here because I wanted to illustrate this, you know. If I look in this mirror, there we go. Maybe I can see the people online. Hey, guys. All right. I'm looking at, how do I look? Everything all right? I'm looking in the mirror. I was wondering, actually, like when I'm standing here preaching, are the people online staring at my backside on that thing? I don't know. I don't know if I got that. I hope not. Um, but I look in the mirror, and there's a big smudge on my face or, or some hair that I forgot to shave, and I see that. I'd be crazy to just walk away and not do anything, right? Like the whole point of the mirror is that the mirror reflects what's actually there. And as I look at the mirror, the mirror's reflecting, and I'm like, oh, there's something that needs to be addressed. And if I'm smart, I address it, right? James says, anybody who reads this book... And God speaks to you about something you need to change. And you look at it and you're like, yeah, that's true. And you walk away and don't change it. You're, it's foolish. It's, it's like somebody who looks at the mirror, sees what needs to change, and does nothing. He says, that's, that's absolutely foolish. You're, you're deceiving yourself. For it says he goes away. He looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. And then the next verse, he's going to change the analogy from this physical look in the mirror analogy, and he's going to say this, but the one who looks into the perfect law, and when he says the perfect law, the law of liberty, he's talking about what God has said. So God's word is, in our sermon, two things, a seed that goes in and begins to transform and bring new life, but it's also a mirror that allows us to look at ourselves through God's lens and make adjustments. It's the weed and the feed. It's both. It's the overseed. It's, it's all of it, okay? And so he, he says, he who looks into a mirror, the perfect, and perseveres, not being a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. There, there's two things that God's word as a mirror does for us. I'm going to show you what they are um, on the next slide. If you throw that up for me. God's word reveals, number one, this is really important, who God says we are. I thought of putting a mirror in my Bible so I could show you the reflection, but this, this mirror will work. So we read God's Word, and it acts like a mirror. And the first thing we need to see is who God says we are. Because if we just look in the mirror, we'll see all our flaws, and we'll get really discouraged and depressed, okay? But we need to first see who God says we are. I'm a son, I'm a daughter. I'm forgiven. I've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to love. I've been given mercy and grace. I've been forgiven, and so therefore now I can forgive. So this is what's happening. I see who God has called me to be, who He says I am. But then secondly, I also see how far I fall short. And that's the second thing, where I fall short. Because when I look, I'm like, oh, this is how Jesus loved. Oh, I don't. We open up 1 Corinthians 13, and it says, love is patient and kind. Not rude, not boastful. And we look at that, and we're like, 
Ah, actually, that boastful thing, that got me. That kind thing, I haven't been very kind lately. And so we're looking at it, we're like, I know God loves me and I know I'm accepted, but that, that needs some work. And we look in the mirror and we begin to make improvements, we begin to change and improve. There's an excellent passage in 2 Corinthians 3. Let me show it to you. This ties us all together. It says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a, a mirror, the glory of the Lord. It says, we're looking at God. How do we see God? We open up the word. Can't, I can't see God in the room, but I can read all about him and who he is and what he does. And we look in the mirror at the glory of the Lord and we're being transformed into the what? The same image. So as I look into the mirror of God's word and I see what needs to change and improve and I see who he says I am and how I fall short and I make incremental improvements, I'm going to forgive somebody. It's like, fix that. I'm going to love when it's hard. Everything's being adjusted. And my image is slowly but surely lining up with the image of Christ. Did you know that God's mission in some sense is that we would grow up into Christ, that we would become like his son? That maybe one day, a decade from now, I would be more like Jesus than I am today. In the best sense of the word, that I would love like him. That when people attack me, I'd be like, I love you. <laughs> so I can't do that yet. The process isn't complete. And this process of pulling the weeds and adding the seeds, pulling the weeds, adding the seeds, becoming more like Jesus, is the process, the theological term is sanctification. Where we become like him. And everything that he has planted in us grows to maturity. This helping anybody today? So, um, what I want to do is read the last couple verses, and uh, I'll ask Jace to come up, and we're going to close in prayer, and we're going to share in communion the Lord's Supper together. But these last couple verses, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, because James is touching on themes that we're going to spend a whole sermon on in the upcoming weeks. So, let me just show it to you, and then uh, we'll we'll pray and close this out. If anyone thinks he's religious. I'm a spiritual person. I'm spiritually mature. James is like, don't measure your spiritual maturity by what you know. Not the number of Bible verses you have in your head, but the number of Bible verses you live in your life. Okay? That's James. But you don't control your tongue. That's not true religion. That's not spiritual maturity. You deceive your heart. This person's religious religion is worthless. And he closes out the chapter with verse 27, and he says, religion that is pure and undefiled, the real religion, real mature faith before God the Father is this, to visit Orphans and widows in their affliction. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is somebody who's maximizing love and minimizing sin. That's powerful. Right there. Just boom. Maximizing love, minimizing sin. It's, it's that the process has continued to flourish. That's spiritual maturity. That our love is growing. That our knowledge of God and our surrender to Him is growing. And sin is being rooted out and lifted out of our life. Let me tell you what's coming. In the upcoming weeks, James is going to invite us to look into the mirror. And he's going to ask us to assess ourselves. And he's going to ask questions like, how are you doing with judging and discrimination? That's next week. You don't want to miss that. It'll be fun. Right between the eyes for all of us, I'm sure. How are you doing with trusting in your good works? You feel like you, you've accomplished enough? God smiles on you because of what you do? We're going to talk about that. How about your words? You say you love God and you're tearing down your friends and family, speaking words of death and discouragement. Is there jealousy in your heart? He'll hit that one too. You're struggling with pride or anger? He's going to leave no stone unturned. Have you left God out of your plans? You got a five and ten year plan and God's nowhere in it? We'll talk about that. 
Are you treating people fairly? How's your prayer life? James is just going to dive in. He's going to like, okay, there, there's a few things in order in your life, but there's some other ones. Let's talk about them all. Let's look at it from every angle. Not, not, not appreciating that angle right now. Every angle of my life, from the side, from the back, from the front. And we want to hear, we want to be quick to hear what God has to say and quick to begin to make the changes we need to make, okay? And one of the things that's really helpful um, is actually being able to listen to other people. And this is going to be the hardest thing for people right now. Because I believe the primary way that God will speak to us is through what he's already said in his word. That's going to be the primary way. But the secondary way that I've found God speaks to me the most is through other people. Someone will come up to me and just say, hey, Nathan, that thing you said, that was, sounded like a little arrogant. It's like, no, I start to defend myself. And I'm like, actually, no, you're right. That will, there's something there. And I, and I need to hear that because you see my boot flap. And you see my curl that I don't see, but I can leverage the people around me who love me to listen to their criticisms and listen to their corrections and listen to what they're observing in my life. And that's a way that God will speak to me. But we've got to be willing to do it. Okay? So James is going to challenge us to grow in our faith. And, uh, yeah, let's turn to communion. I hope everyone in the room has a cup. For those of you at home, if you've got bread and juice, cracker, I'll have you grab that now. And I'm just going to say a few words as Jason plays and he'll maybe lead us in a chorus after we take communion. But I I was thinking specifically today about communion from the lens of uh, Jesus' death. And one of the things that Jesus said one day to his disciples (laughs) is he said to them, he said, unless a seed dies and it's buried in the ground, it can't produce fruit. And they're like, of course, we know that. Like, seed's no good sitting on the counter. Won't produce any apples unless you put it in the ground, it becomes an apple tree. And Jesus is like, I'm talking about my life. And unless my holy and perfect life is taken from me, and I'm buried in the earth, you can't have eternal life. Because what he did is when he died, his body went in the ground, his death on our behalf... And he rose to newness of life. And when we trust in him, his word goes into our heart. And that same word, John 1 says, the word became flesh, speaking about Jesus. So we talk about inviting Jesus into our hearts. And when we do that, what we're doing is we're trusting what he said and believing in him. And when we do that, it goes into our hearts and that seed germinates 2,000 years old and begins to produce new life. Changes everything. Doesn't happen overnight, but 10 years from now, your lawn tractor could sound a lot more like a race engine because of the process of sanctification, God changing us from the inside out by His power. And so today, we remember the sacrifice of Christ. His body was broken for us. He died. He went into the ground. Because of that, that seed of faith, we receive it, His body. In Jesus' name, let's take it together. Now we'll take the cup. Jesus said this is the cup of my blood, a sign of the new covenant that we have with him. And we receive his sacrifice with thanksgiving. Let's take it together. Let me pray for us, and then Jason will lead us in a chorus. And Jess will come back up with some announcements. Father. Thank you for every person in this room, every person joining online. Thank you that you are the Word. 
that when we receive what you have said and what you have done for us into us, it begins to transform us from the inside out by the power of your spirit. My prayer as a pastor, as a father, and as a friend for every person listening to me today is that we would hear your words and respond to you in faith. That we wouldn't just hear another sermon and go back to our regular week and do all the same stuff, but that some small changes would begin to happen. That we would, this week, would begin to pluck the weeds of fear, anxiety, sin, selfishness. We'd be pulling out those weeds wherever we see them and planting your word in our hearts and minds. That our minds and our hearts would be transformed by the renewing of your word. And so, Lord, that's my prayer for every person. If there's anyone here listening to me today who has never trusted you, who's never received you into their life for the first time, I pray they would do that today in Jesus' precious name. Hey, that wraps up from us here at Pathway. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please be sure to keep up with us on all of our social links. Uh, Prayer and care, pathwaylife.com slash care, facebook.com slash pathwaylife, instagram.com slash pathwaylifechurch, and of course our website, pathwaylife.com. Have a great day, and we hope to see you soon.